Welcome to the French Open edition of the Tennis.com podcast. Get all your official French Open gear, including licensed Roland Garros products from Adidas and Babolat, at TennisWarehouse.com. And here's your podcast host, Ed McGrogan. Hello, everyone. Tennis.com podcast. Ed McGrogan here with Richard Pagliaro. It's a day that many of you look forward to uh, pretty much since the Australian Open ended. It's the draw day uh, for the French Open. And what I first wanted to ask, Richard, before we get into the draws is really, um, especially on the men's side, um, what is really the importance of the draw if, you know, or, it, or really, is there a lack of importance nowadays to the draw? Because for so many consecutive slams now, we've seen three of the top four, some cases all the top four into the semis. It's almost like um, no matter what's in their way, you're we're getting that final that goes by the seeds, chalks winning out. So really, you know, for the men's side specifically, what kind of importance did you do you put in this draw, or do you really think it's almost um, you know not a, not as relevant as maybe we make it out to be? Well, to me, the primary importance, the thing that I was really looking for was where was Federer going to wind up? Was he going to wind up with Rafa or with Djokovic? So I think that was a big thing. I think since they went to the thirty-two seeds from sixteen, you, it's a little more you know predictable i would say maybe a few less upsets but you know it's always interesting to see where where those three are going to wind up and like you said i mean murray's got a really long semifinal fairly long semifinal major run now and i think that he's vulnerable so i don't think murray's a given to get to the final four no i do agree with that definitely and he he's in the third quarter we'll get to that um but i think of course the federer point is very well taken and especially when we can when we remember that just a week ago it was actually Federer in the right. number two spot and it could have been Djokovic um ending up with that he could have been the wild card Rafa could have seen right the so you see also how Rome you know Madrid and Rome obviously were, were important results yeah but saying all that I do I do get the sense that uh, from our little banter just now that it, it it does seem like yet another instance of the top guys are going to kind of make their way and rise to the top that, that's you know certainly my opinion I've really thought since um, not even just since this past year but I think since last year when we didn't get that Nadal Djokovic meeting at the French um, it, it's it to me seems like this is what we've been kind of waiting for is this culmination of and there's obviously a lot of layers on the line here. Djokovic going for four in a row. Rafa trying to set um, set the all-time record for French Open t- singles titles and really reestablish that. Um, if you've met Djokovic here and beat him, it'd be three in a row now, actually. so I think those are the two big storylines. We could see history at the end of this tournament, and it's really exciting. And if someone like Federer did get through it, I mean, he's got a great track record of reaching the final. If he were to win number 17, or obviously if Murray were to get through, that's huge. But I think those two storylines are, are... And for Federer, it, yeah, when um, the track record of finals, I, I even saw the stat, and I couldn't believe... I, I had to stop and think about it, but it's true that he's made the French final now five out of the past six years and um, if, if, if my counting is correct they're 06 07 08 09 he wins it um, 2010 loses to Soderling and last year makes the final and so it was a decent final I thought it was a quality final last year too so yeah so it's you know they're the top three dynamics still has um, you know I think still over 
overrides a lot of what we're going to see in the draw here, but it's it's you know a draw that we certainly want to take from from the beginning, and that's where we'll we'll start here uh, with Djokovic in the top quarter. Um, you know, I'm I'm going through the the main threat, really the only threat in my opinion to Djokovic is Sanga, the other top seeders at the bottom, and you know you can go kind of either way about Sanga, whether you think that the French crowd, um, whether that helps or hurts him, that that's certainly up for debate. And I think we've seen instances of uh, more so it, it not helping out the French players. Um, but, you know, when I look at the rest of the quarter, um, th- there isn't too much, I think, that stands in the way of Djokovic, but I, but I do want to mention a couple guys. You have Meltzer, who's close by, who beat Djokovic two years ago at Roland Garros, coming from two sets, two sets down, down. Uh, right. that was a you know very big result. And he's there. A sem- he was a semifinalist too. So he's... yep, yeah, still seated, still kind of hanging on for right. uh, for dear life in that number thirty, I believe. And a couple of our dark horse picks are here too: um, Jill Simone, Fernando Verdasco. Um, you know, what are your thoughts, kind of, about Djokovic's really his sort of his first week, first week and a half path? Um, as you as you looked over the I think the there. first week he's got to be satisfied with where he's at I mean you touched on Meltzer and I don't think Meltzer's quite this you know playing the same obviously as he was in 2010 when he's a top 10 singles player you, you have a guy like David Dinko who's been you know deep into the tournament before but he's aging he's over 30 Seppi to me Seppi doesn't have the weapons to really hurt him I think Verdasco He's a guy that gets tight, he gets nervous, he'll get frustrated, but I think Verdasco has played Djokovic well in the past. If Verdasco was somehow able to get to him, that would interest me also because of the lefty spin, although, you know, he hits that forehand cross-court, Djokovic two-handed backhand is a pretty good shot, but Verdasco's beaten Djokovic, and... You know, you never know if it was a slow, heavy day where they're just grinding long and long points. Maybe physically he could get into it and he beat Nadal in Madrid. But, you know, mentally, I don't I don't know if he's quite there. And and Sanga, that was kind of an odd comment saying, hey, I don't think, you know, almost trying to reduce the pressure on the French guys. Hey, you're not going to see a French guy. But, dude, like nobody wants to hear that before a mate. You don't want to hear an American guy before the U.S. Open. No American's going to win. I mean, come on. That's it's yeah, a little, I, I, I suppose thought that was sort- a little. And I like Sanga, too, but it it was just, uh, you know. I suppose he sort of answered my own question there about feeling the French pressure there right. just because of, of you know, really what uh, what attention is lavished on these guys over there. Right, and also rejection. You've seen what they've done to Moresmo and Pierce and other French players. If you don't perform to expectation, you, you know, you can get Bartoli's kind of an ostracized sure, there. And sure. Yeah, it's a, it's a... So maybe it's a smart move. Maybe I shouldn't be down on him. Maybe that's a sort of a tactical ploy on his part. Like, don't expect anything, and then slower. if I get to the quarters, come out and, you know, get behind me, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a couple of seating oddities there, I thought. So you, you mentioned Seppi. Um, this is all due to his Rome play, of sure. course. But gets number twenty-two. I I don't I don't remember him seeing being him seated much higher than in the thirties, really ever. So that was kind of a high thing for him. And then I have to say, I really still can't believe that a player like Thomas Bellucci, um, after what we've seen from him in spurts over the past couple of years, is actually unseated. Sure, uh, and that's g- a good first rounder with Troitsky Bellucci. That's a match. I mean, I, w- I would want to see that match. You'd pay to see that one. Yeah, I would. Yeah. I mean, you know, Troitsky could get a little flaky, too, but, you know, those guys can play, both of them. The other one other match I just want to mention here, Brian Baker, who we, um, if you 
we've did a did a feature oh, on Oh, Doug D- Robinson was a great, great Doug Robinson a great, great feature story, for us yeah. uh, a couple days ago Brian Baker who was a former Roland Garros um, boys finalist in 03 American um, he's returned now to the pro tour after um, handfuls of, of, of big surgeries um, and comes back and this week he's still in the nice draw playing uh, the semifinals today against Davidenko, and this is after he hadn't won an ATP match in since 2005. He was a college student, basically, had gone back to college. This guy was in the French Open junior final at one yeah. time. You know, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah, and, and he had, you know, all sorts of um, – this is a little – I have to say I haven't watched Baker play. I certainly can't remember back that far, but but what he – he's definitely the – certainly from the American perspective, the story that you're going to hear about in the yeah. first couple of days – um, gets Melise in this. Uh, so a unique American because he wears a baseball cap forward instead of backwards. Oh, you know? yes. All right. <laughs> it's kind of a... So lots of root for, I, I suppose, in that, and including including the hat choice there. So um, second quarter here, and this is where Federer ends up, as we mentioned, it would be a potential Federer-Djokovic semifinal if, if the seed's held. Uh, Federer likely would get Nelbandian actually in round two, assuming um, Federer beats Kamke and um, Nelbandian beats Adrian Ungar of Romania. So um, that's kind of the, the the real interesting round two match there. I, I don't think there's really anything besides kind of the name recognition. I don't think Nelbandian would would have a chance for over five sets against Federer, but it's certainly... Um, one of the more captivating matches from the eye, at least there. And also, they know each other so well. They came up together. They now, played in the now French. Now, has beaten him in majors, as and well. they played him at the French semis, I think, in '06. And now, right. did win the first set. Actually, I think that was the match where he ended up retiring. Um, and I remember years ago, the year he crushed him at the U.S. Open, and Federer basically came in and said, "I this guy plays contra tennis. He plays a game that is just so contrary." You know, he's very frustrated, but he turned. He has turned the tables and. Nalbanian is not obviously the same player that that he was. Yeah, Nalbanian to me has that Murat Safin thing going. Where wherever he ends up in the draw, that's sort of like he's bound to play some player of note, and that's the match you look out for. But um, a couple matches down, you get Roddick at twenty six against Mahout. That's kind of the um, a match made for like for Wimbledon, yeah, a fast court, and sure. they're going to be uh, kind of slogging out of the clay here. Um, that'll be that'll certainly get coverage here in the U.S. Of course, with Roddick, that'll be a really good vibe too with Mahout, uh, the French thing going. So, um, you know, the rest of the quarter, what I what I took a look at here is, you know, when you if if you think that Djokovic and Nadal are kind of destined for this final round meeting, um, and I don't think it's it's rash to suggest that. However, you know, you probably do think in, somewhere in the back of your head that of the big three guys that Federer might be the one to stumble before then um, if he didn't to Djokovic you know you can kind of go whatever you want on that but but there are certainly roadblocks two of them but you know of those two because uh, I think that's you know that's a match I think a lot of people would really like to see is Burdich Del Potra there in the um, I believe the fourth round that would be right and that's also that's a rematch a sp- of Madrid as well that's yeah a, that's just yeah. what do you see between those two um, it's funny because in general I really like Del Potro's game better than Burdish I think he's a little more athletic I think he can he can do a little bit just a little bit more with the ball they're both kind of flat obviously very hard hitters but gosh based on recent form I mean Burdish is play, he's played real well you can't discount him and he's playing with more confidence you know he doesn't get that sort of skittish look he's not 
I think he he's playing with a lot more clarity. He seems to know exactly what he wants to do in that than that match against Federer. He showed that. So that that would be a really good match. And I agree with you. I think Burdich. I would even put him maybe ahead of Murray as a as a contender for this for the semi just based on on his recent form and uh you know how well he played in in Madrid you know having said that it's not his best surface obviously but he's he's done well here in in the past and he's what is he like 3 and 11 against Federer but those wins have come in big matches he beat him at Wimbledon beat him mm-hmm. at the Olympics i mean he has yep. he has beat him in on really big occasions so so you certainly do you think Federer gets out of this semi? Uh, if you put a gun to my head, I'd have to go with Federer. I think I think it's more problematic than than Djokovic, or I think Rafa by far has the clearest path of the three. The um, let's move to the second half of the draw, the third quarter here. Um, when I looked over this draw, I actually this is where Andy Murray is, David Ferrer is. Those are the top two seeds. Um, I actually think this is a pretty good opportunity for Richard Gasquet, of all people, because, um, you know. Going back to your roots. You're a yes. Gasquet guy. I like Going the loyalty there. Yep. Going back. <laughs> no no coincidence, I, I suppose. but You've gone uh, back to the one-handed backhand, too. Yeah, right. I do kind of switch that on and off with the court. It just depends on the day there. Um, but the way I look at this at, is – the top seeds, we have Murray, um, who I've never been completely sold on for clay just because of really that lack of um, lack of a finishing shot. And, and really, he's struggling right now on clay, too. And really just the mental game. It, it's, you know, it's a thing where it's patience it is required, and, it, and he's going to run into... He's going to run into a deep four-setter or you know, possibly five-setter, potentially very early on, potentially round two, something like that. And, and that's the thing that kind of, I think, wears on, can wear on him over time. Um, I, I've always still thought that Murray is due for a, a slam at some time. I just think he's too good of a player not to win one eventually. But, um, but I, what he did the last year, Roland Garros making the semis, and then also almost beating Djokovic last year on Roman Clay. I just, I feel like that would be very hard to repeat for him. Other seats here, like I said, Ferrer, um, solid but unremarkable, I think is the way we we, we might put it. Um, and Isner, who I think actually has a pretty tough draw despite being seated 10th. Um, Isner could, could get... Um, Mathieu pretty early. I, I don't think that's a very easy match in, in Paris. Granollers, like I said, Ferrer as well. So I think actually, if, if you want to talk about French hopes, I oddly enough think that Richard Gasquet could have a, a pretty good two weeks in Paris considering the quarter he's in. Well, also, he just beat Murray. And the thing with Murray is his movement. He's so fast. He can get to so many balls. I like that about him on clay that you really got to hit several shots to hit through him. What I don't like about him is of those four guys, his first serve percentage is usually the lowest because he go he loves to go for that flat one out wide. So if you're seeing a lot of second serves from Murray, I mean, he's more vulnerable to me to get broken than those other guys because Rafa and Djokovic serve at a much higher first percent uh, first serve percentage. So, I, yeah, I think he's vulnerable. Gasquet, I picked him as a dark horse. Um, he's a tricky guy because every time you think he's ready to sort of step mm-hmm. up and, Hey, this is, you know, the sort of everything has come together for him. He doesn't respond to pressure. Well, he's one of those, he's a little bit like a Kuznetsova where the expectations are least. That's when he really excel like the year at Wimbledon when he made right. it through. It's like, nobody was really expecting him to make that run and he did it. But game wise, there's no reason why he can't 
why he can't get to that match. I, I don't think, especially Some, that he just beat him. You yes. Know? Yeah. And I realize it's not best of five sets, but he beat him and Rome on red clay. I mean, you know. yeah, yeah, of course, something to be said. And uh, there a couple, couple. And also if Dolgo, you know, you can put Dolgo in there, but he's just to me, he's not consistent enough to go deep, you know, Some although he's, he's had runs, obviously, in Australia. Some fun first runners involving a few of those guys. You get Dolgo, well, you get Stakovsky, right, who's a Ukraine guys. Yeah. Um, Donald Young gets Dimitrov, winner of that would, would play Gasquet, in all likelihood probably. play Gasquet. Yeah. Um, the Colombians, you got Geraldo and Faya there. Good clay court match, so... Um, and I think the thing with Isner is he's obviously always a threat to beat anybody. Look what he did against Rafa first round last year. You know, the problem is he's probably going to play a lot of tie breaks, and then you never know. You know, you miss a serve. You, you know, the sun's in your eye. You throw the toss up. The guy hits a line. Anything can happen there. It's a, it's a bit of a crapshoot. So he, he could take anyone out, but he's also vulnerable, vulnerable to anybody. Not anybody, but uh, to a lot of people. A lot to chew on, I think, in that quarter. So. Um, to the last quarter of the men's draw, this is where Nadal is. Um, every, all four of us pick Nadal to win this in the editor's picks. And we did that before we saw his draw. Too, did that before? So. Did that? It, it was you know it, it, we. I think after uh, the past few weeks here on the clay season, I, I think we were un, we were universal in that in that uh, assessment there. So, um, in in other instances, I may say this is a tough. This is a difficult quarter with guys like Monaco and Almagro in there. Um, but Nadal in the past has, I mean, a couple of years ago against Almagro at the French, I think he beat him 3-1-0. Yeah. And um, this is, you know, it's he's one of the top 10 clicker players in the world and just shows that gap, that, it does. that, that it major really, yeah. gap between um, Rafa and really everyone else. Um, and, you know, your thoughts, I guess, on, on what Nadal has here, kind of Similar question to what I posed to you about Djokovic that first week, week and a half. Um, well, if I'm Nadal, I'm thrilled with what I'm seeing because, you know, you look at what the next highest seed in that quarter is Tipsarovic, who's, you know, a top 10 player, but he's not a clay. That's not his surface. That's not where he where he racks up his points. And I think your point to Almagro is dead on. This guy has been in the quarterfinals, I think, twice of the French Open. He's really good on clay. He can beat anybody. But Nadal is just in a different class and the movement is such a dramatic difference. He gets Almagro moving left to right by the fourth time. The guy's got to go down the line. He can't stay in the... He, he just can't, in my opinion. He can't stay in the long rallies with with Rafa. So if I'm Nadal, and, you know, Monaco's tricky, but you were there, Davis Cup. You know, I mean, you've seen him. Uh, yep. You know, so I don't... I, I think it's a stress-free, you know, if he's doing... You know, Raonic is, a, is an interesting character because he's... He can hold a, uh, against uh, just about anyone, and he's trained extensively on clay he's shown some flashes he's had some uh some wins during this season that you have to respect him but over the course of a five-set match you have to say the cream usually rises to the top yeah the uh as comfortable as rafa is in seville and davis cup he uh is arguably just as comfortable at roland garros for the um for the women's side here i kind of go back to the question that i started this podcast with about Really, what's the importance of the draw here? And unlike um, unlike the men, the um, you know the, the the women's seeds have. Although I think there has been an order that not necessarily an order. There has been a class that's elevated themselves over the last um, 
let's say about a year's time, really. It really started, I think, coming to focus as 2012 began. But although the class has kind of risen, the distinct order of the players still is kind of shuffling a little bit. Um, you now have Serena back up into that top upper tier, um, but you're still getting movement. You know, Azarenka's one. Sharapova isn't too far behind. Radwanska just made a, a move up to three, um, et cetera. And Kvitova at four there. So um, the draw, to my opinion, of the women's side is has been and was for this tournament still a more um, telling events really putting you know kind of deciding who what potential matchups that could possibly be finals could happen say in the quarterfinals and i think that's kind of what we got here when um when we see this fourth quarter of the women's draw um let's maybe start with that since let's let's go kind of reverse right because the fourth quarter is the premier because that's where serena williams and Sharapova Sharapova are. are um and both of these two, you know, these two have been um, the stars of the clay court season. As as we've seen here, we have Sharapova taking uh, Stuttgart and Rome just a, just a week ago. Serena taking Madrid, Charleston. Those are your top four events, preluding the French Open. Um, and it's, I think if you, I think you watch one one week, you say, you know, maybe they're the favorite in that match. You watch another the other week, you go, you know, maybe the edge goes to there. So if indeed these two meet in the end, um, not really the end, in the end of the quarter, what do you think uh, is the call in that match and stand? What stands between them? I mean, if they were playing today or tomorrow, I absolutely go with Serena just because she's dominated that matchup over the last. She hasn't lost to her since 04, I think. Yep. And because, okay, neither of them are natural sliders, let's say that, but Serena's a better mover. And, I mean, and she gets the she gets you moving. I feel like the power, she, can, she likes the power that she's going to get from Sharapova, and I feel like it's a more straightforward match for her because Sharapova isn't really going to try to beat you with short angles. She's not going to play with the pace. She's not, you're not going to see many slice. It's a straight ahead. She's going to basically try to hit through you. And it's very difficult to do that against Serena, especially if she's serving well. And Serena, for a lot of these matches on clay has served, you were there in Charles. She served sensationally well. And I mean, if she's serving to that level and the conditions are quick or at least dry where it's not, you know, where, where you can just slog the ball out 20, 25 shot rallies. If it's, you know, I think the weather is going to help her if it's dry, slow, not even, you know, super quick. But I, I think if it's like that, yeah, I definitely have to go with Serena. Although Sharapova, as you said, you can't. I mean, she's been there all year. I mean, consistently getting there every single time. So you you, you can't look past her, but I just like Serena's game better. Serena's uh, returned as good as she served, too, right. especially on clay. And that, that, I think, is the, is the main difference is that um, – Sharap, I think a good Sharapova serving day is really um, it's less about dominating with the serve and more about keeping it as um, as le- as not not having it as a liability essentially because we've seen that for so many um, so many prior matches still recently too after that surgery but um, and I think in that match if it came off the onus is on Sharapova to play shorter points because she can't grind Serena. She just can't. She doesn't move as well. She hits flatter, so her margin of error over the net is lower. So she's got to basically go out there and hit winners against Serena on a clay court. And I don't 
I mean, obviously, there's a lot can happen between now and then, and injuries, stuff like that. But I just don't see that as a good matchup for her. It's um, it's the only slam that Sharapova hasn't won, and uh, it's not ten years since, since Serena, Serena won. Has won it, so it is interesting in a way that we're really kind of reflecting on the. And you know, you just read into some of Serena's comments, like earlier in Madrid, where she said, "You know, it's kind of a myth that I don't like clay, you know, because I grew up playing in Florida." And I think she's really saying the right sort of positive reinforcement to get herself in the frame of mind, knowing, look, it's not going to be like Wimbledon where I can just go out and bomb. You know, I'm going to really have to work and grind, but. She's saying the right things that tells me her frame of mind is she's up for this challenge. Yep. Yeah. So we will see. Um, let's keep going reverse third quarter here. Um, Lena, the, Lena is the seven seed defending champion, Lena. Four seed is Kvitova. For Lee, I do. Um, I have to say, I, I kind of feel a little sorry for her in a, in a way. Um, I think that what happened afterwards is um, the crush of everything coming after being that first Chinese women's singles champion at a slam. Um, she's made that very clear that, that all kind of got to her. Um, and I think what's even, what's even worse is that that kind of got to her. And then I feel like the past six months, all I've heard about is her repeating that, you know, that's what happened. And she's essentially still hasn't right. been able to get this out of her, her mind. Um, and, and, you know, that is a thing that could define a career, obviously. But what I see of coming all that is I just don't, despite her good play in, in, was it last week in Rome? Right. And she played well in Rome too. She could have won that. She had a match point yep. in that match. Yes. With the Sharapova, with all, with the, the rain and everything there. I still don't think all that bodes very well for her in Roland Garros here. Um, I think there is a lot, just really too much undue pressure, too many things to think about besides the game. And, and honestly, a player like Sirstea, who she gets in round one, is the kind of player who can, who can take advantage of that and maybe put in that real, that kind of first round, second round upset that always happens at a slam that um, you, you don't you don't really pick it for any reason, but it, it does happen there. Sirste has, has had a lot of um, great experience at the French and this past year, in, in, yeah. past year in Australia, she beat Stozer. So I would actually kind of watch out for that as a possible round one. Uh, and Christy is one of those players where she's going to take her crack. Like she does, she's not waiting on you to bring anything to the table. She's going to step up and crack the ball. And no, if her shots are falling in and she breaks you early, then the pressure comes into it. Geez, I'm the defending champion. You know, I'm down a break. I mean, I'm not saying that scenario is going to precisely she, play she, out, yeah. but she can she can rattle you just because she'll just keep going for it. You yeah, know? tough opponent, I think, right off the bat. And like right. you said, the beat Stoser first round, you know, in Australia, you know, and Stoser was reigning U.S. Open champion. It's not like Christie is going to she's going to be rattled facing. You know, I think she looks at it as a big opportunity. Yep. Yeah. Definitely a big match player for what we see. But, you know, on the other hand, if Lee were to get through that comfortably, and she's a better athlete in my view, I, I think that could really help her because that's a tough first-rounder. There's um, the rest of that quarter. Um, like I said, Kvitov is there. Um, Mona Bartel is there, who's, who's um, yeah, very I don't think anybody heard of before this year, but has done a nice job. Um, yeah, I, I picked I her as a dark horse in Miami. The readers were mocking me, too. Like, oh, yeah, who's well. Mona Bartel? You know, like. Gosh, give her give her some respect. Oh, all right. Well, this is this is the time to yeah report there. Um, who well, we have? Um, oh, my dark horse as well here, Skiavoni. I know a lot of people would would probably say that it's kind of sacrilege to call 
two-time defending finalist Dark Horse, but it does fit in the rules, no top tens. Um, and really, we haven't heard a, a thing from Schiavone, I think, since when she surprisingly made the final as a defending champion last year. Um, she gets um, another veteran, of course, Date Crum right Match away. Match for the ages, right? Yep. The two, the, you know. There's a headline, yeah, yeah, if we were headlining that match, of course. And Date Crum, remember, she beat Safina for the French Open a few, what, 2010? She beat Safina when Safina was number one or number two, I think, going into that. So there, she's... And then she gave Venus a great match at Wimbledon. Dante yes. Crum gets up for the occasion also. I like Schiavone because for the reasons you said that she really gets up for the spotlight and she she looks at it as a privilege and not a burden, not like, oh, this is something I have to fear. It's something that really inspires her and also that she can play the high ball. She can get the ball up near your shoulders and a lot of, not, not a lot, but many women aren't used to that. And then she has the slice so she can really disorientate you with the height of the shot, which they're not always, you know, you're playing someone like Dante Crum, it's just a flat, same flat ball every time. So she can really, she can disrupt you. She's a disruptive force. What's a good result for Petra Kvitova here? Is it a thing where at, as the four seed anything less than a semi is really kind of a disappointment or is she really still kind of discovering her really her overall all courts all surfaces approach to tennis here it's been this is almost a year now Wimbledon champion had that good I have to say she at the majors she has been fine there's no, I don't think there's any disputing that but we I know a lot of uh, a lot of us have kind of wondered where that when she was going to a sort of challenge Azarenka for number one and it hasn't happened on the lower on uh, the second tier I should say of events really it just um, she's been the high seed that has been in, that hasn't made it unlike Sharapova and Azarenka um, just just maybe some thoughts on what on what she has done so far this season well it's of, been a I mean I think she would tell you it's been a disappointing year to this point out you take away Australia she struggled to put back-to-back wins together and there's a pressure of being the Wimbledon champion and 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 in January where she had the chance not only win the title be number one in the world and it's kind of with the exception of the Fed Cup wins and you know Stuttgart she had some results there it's it's been a tough year for her so she's certainly due and and she's got to do something now because if she were to bottom out at Wimbledon you know, that's that's a really tough rankings fall. But the concern with me is I, I watched that match against Kerber in Rome, and she's, I mean, she looked legitimately hurt, and I give her a lot of credit for finishing that match because a strained abdominal, you know, any serve, any overhead, just your your torso, just when you're turning, it, it's got to be really painful. But I, I thought she showed a lot just finishing, that she said, I'm not going to retire. I'm going to play it out. And I thought that showed a lot of guts from her. I mean, if she was healthy and she had the confidence and the results behind her, I'd pick her to get to the semi. But I, it's really she's to me the most unpredictable player, unpredictable top ten seed in this draw because of the injury and the lack of results. Although if she were to get hot, look what she did here last year. She almost beat Lena. I mean, she could have won that match. She was up in that match. So I think she's one of those people like on any given day she can beat anybody, but based on her results in the last few months and the strained abdominal, I can't pick her to make the final four just based on that. I wouldn't be shocked if if she were healthy and sort of played herself into form, but I think she's going to be fine over the course of her career. I think she's got more game and more weapons than most, and I think that takes time to develop. And also she wasn't playing a crazy full junior schedule like, you know, Wozniacki or Rodwanska where they were 
deep into junior majors. She wasn't like that. She's sort of a later developer. So I, I think she's going to be fine. She's got youth on her side, and yep. it, she's got to get fitter and healthier, obviously. Kerber, you mentioned, um, we'll go up a quarter, the second quarter. I, I almost think that uh, she might be as good a bet as anybody to get to uh, to get to the final four there, even though she has a few seeds above her. Um, in Rodwanska, number three now. Marion Bartoli, number eight. Um, Kerber has been um, really since that U.S. Open. I, I should say, if not for the kind of the consistency put forth by Azarenka, um, by Sharapova, what Kerber has done to making the later rounds of events has been, um, it's been almost automatic really. And, um, I think, I think people after seeing, uh, Rome, uh, these past few clay events have kind of realized that this is not just a player who, um, had that one nice semifinal run at last year's open, but it is, is kind of, um, and possibly is of that German crop of women, she could end up being the, the best one. It's funny. I was just going to say, if we sat here a year ago talking, we'd be talking Petkovic or Lisicki or Gorgeous. And, now, and you know, mm-hmm. obviously Bartel's coming up now. But, yeah, I mean, based on today, right now, the way she's playing, I mean, she's beaten top top ten players. She beat Sharapova. I mean, she's beaten yep. the big players. Ivanovic is right above where Kerber is in the standings. Um, there you go. I also looked at it as like she's coming off a first round loss there last year, so she knows if I have a fourth round or a quarter, if I have top a big 10. result here, I'm in the top ten, basically. Yeah. And also, I did the match, or watched the match uh, last week against Sharapova. She had six point, set points against Sharapova. First set in Rome, she, she should have won that set. I'm not saying she would have won the match, but I think the catch-22 with her is she just needs one of those big top five wins to give her that infuser with that confidence to get her over the hump. And she plays close enough in some of these matches, even the Venus match in Miami. She plays close enough where she's on the edge. But those crunch points, she doesn't seem to have that that deep belief like Sharapova has. It's almost like she's waiting for something to maybe go wrong. She's just a little bit between the thought and the action, I think, that slows her down. But I, I like her game, and I like the way she's been trying to play more offensive. She's been trying to finish at the net. I think she fully realizes, look, this is my, my strength is the forehand. I can volley a little bit. My backhand isn't as good. I've got to play these points to, on my terms. And if she does that... You know she's dangerous, and they the crowd really, loves her. It, she's it, had great results there. Really, if know. it's all working together, the the way she plays is, is just made for a great clay court right. player. Um, can hit through the court, has good movement. Uh, you know, I, it's all really just kind of putting that together, and I think that's um, really putting good. it together and believing that hey, it's I can do this. You know, and you don't always get that sense that she's really deep down thinking this is my match whereas someone like Sharapova you look in her eyes and this is my match is the sort of impression you get looking at her the last part of this quarter I want to touch on is the top part of it and this is the best second round match if it happens here Venus Williams could play Agnieszka Rodwanska number three seed in round two um just a just a there there's your match I mean yeah. in, in some ways it's like you can't say much more besides um, besides that, but in other, in you know in kind of looking at the two in Venus this year, I have to say I I really wasn't sure if we get much of anything. From I know, her kind yeah, of after I was the after the diagnosis, now. but but we have um, you know in, in a way it's sort of like Ivanovich in a way in spurts. There has been some great play from Venus. Haven't seen too much of it. A lot of it, a lot of the TV has not uh, been there for the early rounds. Um, she beat. Um, 
is a Kvitova. Um, and the Stoser, the Stoser win, I thought was a bit, you know. Yeah, and um, and and you know that that's Kvitova a, Miami. I mean, that was a for right out of the box she yep. beat her, you know. Yeah, that and that's why I think this this match does carry so much, really. Um, presuming it happens, you know, I don't think there's. Any, I hope, I really hope it comes off, and I. I think Venus has a real shot in that match. I really do. You know, like you said, you never know because her health and energy level fluctuate. I think I think date match to match. Having it early, she in, might not even know. But early, yeah, it's early. Having it early you know, in the tournament yeah. certainly help. And that's a match though. everyone's going to want to see. You know, Venus is a she's won a lot of matches, a lot of titles. I I really would give her a shot in that one, and I think the surface would actually help her. Yep. Um, last part, first quarter women's draw here. And I was the only one who ended up picking Azarenka to win this. I kind of based it along the lines, um, you know. I think Serena is, is the is the other call there, but I but I we've seen it in so many French Open since that title that um, that Serena has, Serena has made the final four since '03, and it, it really just speaks to that over the over the slog of the two weeks here, Serena has run into trouble here in Paris and just. Um, it's not going to be that automatic service that grass or hardcore is. So I, right. and what I, and what I say to Azarenka's cause is that, um, you know, she has made, she's done, I think every, she, I think her number one establishing herself is that has just done it so well. Um, the only finals she's lost this year have been to great players in finals. We're talking to, um, aside from, I think one tournament, she has um, just made the late rounds, done what a number one player should do, is not suffer those early round lapses, especially when you're comparing it to prior number ones of recent years. Um, I think that just match to match, she is the most consistent player on tour. And um, and she's, of course, beaten Sharapova when it's, when it's mattered too. So I do think it, it is it is a tough call, and I think there's a lot of there's a lot of good reasons for each of the these top uh, con- women contenders. But I did pick Azarenka to win the title here. Um, looking at her draw this quarter, I, I suppose um, I have to say if she plays Caroline Garcia in round two, that's that's kind of the all hype matchup after yeah, what Garcia after what she did with uh, Sharapova. After what Garcia yeah. did um, to Sharapova last year, Garcia I think is probably still only 18 if I had to guess, but has some tremendous, tremendous strokes. That would be a, that'd be a really fun match to see there. Oh, that would be a great match, and the crowd would be so electric, especially if she could get out of the gate. Garcia could get out of the gate early like she did against Sharapova. I mean, Sharapova's getting crushed in that match, and you rarely see her get hit off any court, uh, but she totally turned it around. Garcia's very talented. Player. What do you see for the rest of this quarter? If I'm Azarenka, you know, I'm feeling pretty good about that. The, the two players, if I'm her, that I would be concerned with is Sabalkova because Sabalkova's been... Thought you might say. Been to the semis in 09, and I, okay, she's not a clay court player. It's not her surface, but she's had the experience of doing it and should have beat her in Miami. I mean, played right with her in Miami, was in that match, probably should have won the match, couldn't close. The the, the danger with Sabalkova is because she's a vertically challenged. She doesn't have a big serve. You have a play on her serve, and you get the ball up high on her. You know, you have a little bit of advantage, although she stays right on the baseline. It's hard to hit through Sabalkova. She's a tough player. So if that match came off, that would be uh, pretty interesting. And I think Petrova, if as a sort of a sleeper in that quarter, because Petrova has beaten Azarenka and Petrova beat Stoser, what, at Indian Wells, and they could meet. I mean, to me, Azarenka's not a bad pick coming out of it. She's number one in the world. She's been the best player. I, 
Stoser, you know, obviously there too, but Stoser does not match up well with Azarenka or Sharapova. So, uh, you know, you can't discount Stoser. She's a really good player. She's won the doubles there. She's been a singles finalist. But Stoser Petrova, to another me, one of those bet the house things when she played Skiavoni in the final. That, right. That was yeah, the right. that was the the bet there, and uh, that did not go her way, of course. So I mean, Azarenka's got she's certainly got some bumps there along the road for, but you, you know, she she plays the way she can play. She can she can get through it. Yeah. Well, so the, the crux of the story is we have the French Open covered top to bottom in tennis.com. So for Richard Pagliaro, I'm Ed McGrogan. Thank you for listening. You've been enjoying Tennis.com's weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.